Hi, I'm Orla McNeilis. And I'm Ricardo Deacon. And this is a recommendation game, a film of the week podcast where we take turns to pick a film the other has not seen. We watch it and then we meet to discuss it. This week's film is 1934's It Happened One Night. It Happened One Night. <laughs> Directed by Frank Capra, produced by Frank Capra and Harry Cohn, screenplay by Robert Riskin. Story by Samuel Hopkins Adams, based on Night Bus by Samuel Hopkins Adams, music by Howard Jackson and Lewis Silvers, cinematography by Joseph Walker, and edited by Gene Havlick. Starring Clark Gable, Claudette Colbert, Walter Connolly and Charles C. Wilson. And the INV synopsis is, a spoiled heiress running away from her family is helped by a man who is actually a reporter in need of a story. We're back to the bad IMDb synopsis. Yeah. It was too good while it lasted. Yeah. We had some crackers there. We were spoiled. So this week's film was picked by Ricardo. It was. And why? Well, um, to begin with, a bit of a tangent. Just a, <laughs> What? Yeah, and it never happened before. Um, it's a weird way that I got into Capra originally. Most okay. people our generation or every generation after the 30s got into him through uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Uh, but mine was uh, for one of my birthdays, my brother bought a box set of World War II DVDs that he thought were history yeah. DVDs. And they were very one-sided. And I thought, oh, Jesus, that's Propagandist? Yeah, this is a a bit weird. And it turned out that they were made by Capra during World War II to get the public on the side of the war effort. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I had animations by Walt Disney and, like, really weird. But... That's a great box set. Where did he yeah, find that? I don't know. Some like old and DVD what, shop. What, what like on the cover made him think that it was still a series of documentaries? Because they like uh, one of the documentaries called Why We Fight was uh, it won the, the first best documentary Oscar. Yeah. So gotta, it was like Academy Award winning documentary. Uh, you got to dig that out and uh, get a photo of it because that sounds great. And uh, but that's just a, a little postscript because it's a weird way to get into Capra. <laughs> it is. I was because like I really thought that you were going to have the tie and do it's a wonderful life, and that was going to be your uh, your history with him. But that's interesting. I got fairly late to it's a wonderful life, but I absolutely love Capra. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. Like uh, it's a wonderful life. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Yeah, and it happened one night. And the reason that I picked it, uh, I'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> The reason that I picked it was, for one, we've been in a bit of a downer mood lately. Just uh, just a bit, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's been one after the other. That, like, when Manhunter is the most cheerful movie. Yeah, that, yeah. And this is the best feel-good movie. That, like, my favorite feel-good movie. Like, yeah, I can't not watch this and be happy. Yeah. And as well, it is uh, probably the first... Uh, modern romantic comedy yeah and everything that it created and and it uses like the tropes that it creates are still used to nowadays yeah it's probably one of the most influential movies ever made and also i love romantic comedies but i think it's the hardest genre to get right yes because if you don't get a hundred percent right it just derails there's no 
okay romantic yeah. comedies it's well, either it's like you comedy in general comedy is really hard to get right and and then you put yeah you're throwing another you're you're basically combining two genres that are very like complicated to execute and uh but you know by their sort of like uh i don't know they're they're people think of them as throwaway so that they're therefore easy to make and no <laughs> and the the best explanation or a description of how this movie is a, a movie critic a few years ago uh, was asked to do a list of the most influential movies ever made yeah uh, he rewatched them all and he placed this in the list and he even though he was putting the movie in the list mm. almost like for historic reasons when he sit down to watch it again after having seen it a few times already he remembered how perfect the movie is yeah and the way that he described it was that it's of the most influential movies ever made. It is the easiest one to like and the hardest one to consider art. Oh, that's so interesting because I, that was going to be part of my opening point. <laughs> and I think that that describes the movie to a T, but I think because it is the original one, it yeah. came up with all these tropes and makes it art. Yeah. Because it's not putting those tropes and making just a cookie cutter good movie yeah it created an entire genre fully formed and that's why i like it and i think as well there has a lot of things to be talked about from socioeconomic reasons even yeah, capitalist yeah. politics and the evolution of the romantic genre as a whole so romantic comedy genre so Orla, what's your take on the movie uh that's interesting that you said that because um uh, about what what critic was that actually I'm curious or who, like, I think he's it? working for RogerEber.com um, it oh, might have been Matt okay. Soller Heist uh, yeah, not yeah. 100% oh, that's sure. interesting because um, that was kind of the dilemma I had because um, not a dilemma necessarily it was a nice dilemma to have um, but yeah it's funny like films like this that, that you know are considered classics like even even when you've never seen them, you come to them and they're they're kind of almost burdened by all the time that's gone past and all the films that have come out since, and you end up with kind of a you know you have a haze of nostalgia and and all the not baggage but all the the massive amount of context attached to a movie that came out you know however many years ago eighty something years ago like. So it it you find you know you can find it really hard to to read like um consider not consider them art but to try like try and sit back and critique them as art and not not get kind of bowled over by the charm and the nostalgia and I think as well maybe sometimes in movies like this I have a kind of a fear that you're going to strip away the outer charm and find nothing underneath it that you know that it's oh it's in black and white and it's charming Clark Gables and it you know oh is there really anything underneath this and uh, I was lovely and pleasantly surprised to find that yes obviously there is um and like you know we'll get to what you said there about like the 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 setting of it and I suppose like the the birth of the genre like it's not you know it's 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 important and um obviously very relevant that this is like the 30s and you know socially socioeconomic context of like post um 
post like depression year America and well, everything. It's still and depression era. Like, yeah, exactly. Didn't come well, out yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Yeah, like post act. You know that. So it's New uh, Deal America. That's all. Uh, yeah. So like that. That all those themes are very much very like, important and and you know underneath all that. But before you even get to that, just looking at how this deals with obviously this is like the is this like the first screwball comedy. Am I right in saying that? No, it's not the first but it, screwball but comedy, it's like... but it's the first romantic comedy. Yeah. Uh, well, like, obviously there will be films like with Chaplin and Buster yeah, Keaton that yeah, 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 uh, mix yeah. them up. But to the extent that both sides of the story are equally treated. Yeah, for the two main characters. Yeah, yeah the uh, same amount of screen time, same amount of... Character uh, development, yeah. dialogue, yeah. And even with something like Philadelphia Story, w- w- what I find is that uh, like screwball comedies usually are about possession. That's what it is. And this yeah. movie has some bits of screwball comedy in it, like inflections like the how quickly they speak and stuff yeah but i don't think that it has the 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 meanness that uh, the screwball comedy generally brings you yeah know? no 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 like i think um just to take like as its first fantastic element of it is how it deals with the relationship and how it's managing to sidestep uh it's uh I suppose like with censorship basically like having having to having to to put all the the more like um I suppose like erotic elements of it like completely hidden underneath like a hundred mile an hour dialogue and you know the sparring of the two main characters and everything and how just skillfully it's done in this like this movie is full of like puns and double entendres and and but they're like it's going so quickly that it you're almost like you need to like really like think about what they're saying because as soon as they've said one and you're like whoa there's something else coming right away so it's like it's all you know hidden just underneath and it's just like it's just done so well like you know even before you get to the 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 very very end of it which is just (laughs) i was on the floor laughing by the very end of it i was like oh my god but it is true that this is the kind of film where because they've you know on its on its face i suppose it's like oh well they they've hidden they've hidden all the erotic elements and because of that it it seems much more the scenes that are like it's so subtle what they're doing but it's given so much more power because it's like it's so under the surface so like say whenever he's like buttoning her 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 shirt yeah and you know it's so charged because obviously like as well we have to point out that uh the two main characters like the two actors have a shit ton of chemistry (laughs) like you can't you can't execute this sort of um this sort of uh, story and this kind of genre piece without two, not just two great actors or two characters with loads of charm, but two actors that have that, you know, as they call it, spark, which these two obviously do. And like, I think I read as well that um, like a lot of these movies, they weren't the original choices for the cast. And it is one of those films you're like, oh, like I can't imagine this, this with anybody else. Like, oh my God, they're just, you know, every, obviously most of um, this movie is just, them together talking in various entertaining scenarios and it really rests on them having that uh chemistry underlying everything that they're saying to each other so um yeah it's just 
incredibly enjoyable movie. You can't, you can't not enjoy this movie. Like, this is a lot. I did think of um, my darling Clementine a lot. That this is the kind of film that you could show anybody. Anybody would love this. Like, even you know, it's just it's it's entertaining. It's 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 incredibly funny. The leads are incredibly charming, and obviously part of that as well is that they're playing kind of like um you know it's they're they're sort of um they're sort of heightened characters I suppose that like she's really you know she's spoiled she's a total brat you know like he calls her brat constantly he's like you know the kind of uh down on his luck newspaper man you know like they're playing sort of like tropes I suppose but underneath it they're incredibly likable and incredibly relatable so you know, they're just they're really pleasant to watch on screen i think the romantic comedy lives and dies by having two characters that generally speaking usually yeah. they created the trope in this one yeah that you kind of dislike them a bit in the beginning yeah and then as they fall in love you're falling in love with the characters at the same time yeah so you feel the same emotion or feeling that they do yeah. because you like love both sides equally. Yeah. And I think as so, well, uh, usually Clark Gable after Gone with the Wind, I'm not a huge fan. He became this alpha male kind of guy. Yeah, it's funny how and, that's completely played against in this. Like, he's yeah, great. Even like his opening <clears throat> scene when uh, he's talking to his boss. Yeah. Uh, his boss is uh, giving him shit and he like clearly went on and has been on the sauce for a little bit and got like <laughs> his drinking buddies to like cheer him on as he's on the phone yeah and after the boss fires him and hangs up the phone he, ke- he yeah. keeps in saying like oh do you think i'm gonna stand for this shit yeah no and then he leaves in but the, the audience the audience knows it's a total facade yeah. like it's completely undercutting his so his... It, it undercuts even the way that he treats her because he's pretending to be this alpha male guy yeah. when you know that he's just a loser yeah and uh <laughs> and uh, i think it's one of those movies that it has a million moments that are brilliant yeah but at the same time it, they hold together as a whole that is and it is not surprising to be the first movie that got the grand slam in the oscars that yeah, won best yeah. director actor <clears throat> actress uh, screenplay and picture. It's five, isn't it? It's like the yeah. big five. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not surprising at all because everything is working in tandem, and you know, it it doesn't feel like one of those films where now where a when a movie wins that a lot of the time it feels like they're just being thrown in as part of the prize like the, the sort of outer awards if you know what I mean so like it's getting best picture so of course not really doing it anymore but for a while there you were kind of getting movies where. They were getting best director and best movie and didn't deserve one of them. You know, whereas this feels like everything is working to the strength of the story and the characters and deserved all those awards, I think. But uh, it's interesting just what you were saying. You go back to um, about uh, how at the start you don't you don't like them. Uh, Well, you like them, but they're a bit you're a bit like, oh, you know, you're you grow to love them as it goes on that kind of like they're establishing scenes that obviously she's there and she's on a yacht. (laughs) I love that that this starts on a boat. It felt like the the middle of the master. (laughs) Oh, I really thought of the master as well. I thought of the master as well because especially the type of boat as well. And I was just like, he's wearing a captain's cap and everything. And he's like at the start, like slightly kind of creepy. And I was just like, oh, 
But, um, uh, you know, and obviously his introduction is he's drunk, he's playing the big man, he's surrounded by his, like, you know, weird, adoring friends. <laughs> was a bit, yeah, but um, his little minions. Uh, you know, the, the, it's that kind of, like, um, the, you know, the comparison between their two introductions and how then um, they're then, like, both thrown together on this one sort of um, uh, location. Um, I do love that this is, like, a road movie as well. Yeah. You know, and, like, the, the kind of the movement of people and, like, very sort of evocative of the time and stuff. Of, but I do love that. Um, <laughs> Just never think at all. I love that people wave the bus away every time they're leaving yeah. somewhere. <laughs> they're like, oh, farewell, farewell. It's, like, it's so strange. It's like, it's like they're launching the Titanic or something. But um, I, I, I love, I love them just the moving and as as they're kind of um, uh, trekking along and they're they're like losing, you know, <laughs> as they run out of money and food and and yet still look fabulous <laughs> but oh, <yeah>. uh <laughs> it was the 30s so i'll i'll let them away with the fact that you know how fabulous she looks when she wakes up <laughs> or they're starving it's like oh you don't know how to what a starvation diet is yeah and i do like even in the clark gable's character that you can see that he has suffered quite a lot because of the depression yeah and uh, that he knows what it is to bum around the country even though he's the worst thumb person <laughs> ever like that. one of the the posters of the movie like there's a scene in the movie uh the, the that scene when they're trying to get a, a, a they're trying to hitchhike yeah and uh, he's like oh, i'm an expert on doing the th-. and how he does each um, it's just one worse than the other like who would pick up that person like, yeah she didn't need to flash her leg she could have yeah. stuck out her thumb like a normal person and they probably would have got left <laughs> yeah I've been tempted like yesterday when I was gonna get a taxi I was really tempted of doing like the I think you need like a three piece suit to get away with that yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> with the really high waist I love that he's like taking off his clothes but and like, because actually this goes back to um that I was saying about how like whatever it does touch on like you know even even because it's so chaste even the slightest kind of like controversial scenes you're like <gasps> because like you know when he's like starting to undress and you're literally like <gasps> he's undressing you know what I mean? like, and the fact that he did it th- this movie is so influential that the fact that he didn't wear an undershirt I read that I the, wonder the if that's true undershirt uh, sales went down considerably <laughs> and uh because it was a, a huge, huge hit when it came out. Yeah. And uh, But even like going back to that scene that we've been dancing around it for a bit, uh, the walls of Jericho scene. The, the, <laughs> and it's the, like, the whole concept of like having them dis- divided uh, the room by putting like a curtain so they both have their privacy. And yeah. she goes, oh, you can just move the curtain and look at me. And he's like, oh... These are like the walls of Jericho <laughs> and I don't have the trumpet to bring them down. <laughs> and I think that it's, you know, how the, the rule of screenplay, the rule of threes that you have a setup or reminder and then a payoff. Yeah. That this movie is the master of doing that, that they set up within each scene. Yeah. With, yeah. It, but only within each scene, within the movie in itself, like the payoff of the walls of Jericho joke yeah. are, are just it's like one of the funniest last moments in a movie I've ever seen 
<laughs> it's all off screen. They're like, it's all like. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, so uh, funny. or even like when he's uh, typing to his, uh, like sending letters to her father mm. while he's trying to annul her marriage. And Clark Gable is like, oh, the walls of Jericho are crumbling. <laughs> And he's like, oh, and obviously there's the implication that they had spoken to her dad about it yeah. because his reply is, let them crumble. <laughs> and then uh, the motel Which owner gives weird. him a trumpet. Which is weird, really, when you think about it. Um. But I'm happy that they didn't see, they didn't show inside the motel room while the walls are crumbling. No. Because there's something that is hilarious of listening to a trumpet being blown, <laughs> a, a toy trumpet being blown, and being like, oh yeah, this is sexy, the light's being turned off. But the image of Clark Gable blowing into a little toy trumpet is not one that I want in my mind. It would have ruined no. the movie. Oh, definitely, definitely. Like, it's just, oh. Um, yeah, it's funny that you say that about the dad. Um, for me, the dad is kind of like the only weak point of it. Well, there's two kind of small like oh these are really small little quibbles but they they did kind of like irk me like a little bit um the first one being um the dad and yeah i don't know it it kind of i think maybe it's because it made me think of um uh it has happens in a, like a lot of romantic comedies but one in particular um uh, which is the choice which is a Nicholas Sparks movie where the dad and the wealth, the parents in general kind of turn her, you know, they, it's not what they're brought around, but they're just like, you know, oh, well, of course you love him. You know, of course, you know, marry him. Of course, like, why are you not just, you know, like where the parents are trying to steer it because they're like, I, you know, we know what you actually really want. And it, I don't know. I, I think it's just that the fact that he kind of turns as well from at the start where he's so protective of her and everything. And I don't know, he has this sort of like weird not creepy but just kind of turn around then whenever he's having like the meeting with um with Clark Gable and Clark Gable's like you know oh I don't want the money and then where he eventually he's like you know oh like do you love her oh that's an evasion you know it's like where he's like you know I know you love her I know you love each other I know you're perfect for each other I don't know it just it was as if he was sort of like voicing what the movie had already told us or something it was yeah I just I don't know the that character just didn't quite I think that is like his journey in the sense that when he realizes that uh, because it is quite strangely a feminist movie uh, in the way that even the reason why she's a brat that doesn't know about the world is because she's a woman and it's very well clearly stated that she was given the chance Mm. she'd be able to do it and also uh, especially for that time what's impressive about this movie is that Clark Gable falls in love for who she is he doesn't want her to change whatsoever yeah well and that she she doesn't want him to change either there's no like you know it's quite it's very level you know what I mean it's not the woman taming the man either and it's It's not yeah it's uh, uh, but when it comes to the dad I think that it is the fact that in the beginning he's so protective and she goes to uh, King Wesley, which is a great name. Yeah, what age is King Wesley? I was like, like, in, like he's the same age as the dad, pretty much. Yeah. So I think that she went to him as a thing of like thinking it was a rebellion, but really she was it was kind of just like her father. Yeah, and I think that her father just uh, realized that he made a mistake, and uh, she tells him that she loves him. Yeah, and then he has to get it out of Clark Gable. But even I know, but like even that scene, whenever she about like 
eventually tells him that she loves him it's like he's there kind of like i know something's wrong you know what i mean he already knows yeah but if you see the beginning of the movie how she acts against him and then that scene is that there's a big vibrant difference of her performance and how she behaves so i think that would have been disingenuous of a character not noticing it's not yeah i don't know maybe it's his performance I don't know. Just just something about it didn't entirely I, work for I, I me. I kind of liked it as well when he... I do when, love the wedding, though. Yeah, like, <laughs> he's like, oh, I have a car <laughs> waiting a car for waiting. you. <laughs> I like as well that uh, when she gets out of the car and drives off, it's not like the Clark Gable's in the car. You know what I mean? And they got like, you don't... You don't see them together again. You know, you don't. there's yeah. no, like, big Hollywood kiss or... Well, like, probably because Claire Gable was possi- possibly, like, one drink away from alcohol poisoning at this stage. <laughs> yeah. I, I read as well that they hated each other and fought constantly during this movie, so... Well, sometimes it's how you get that feistiness on screen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fe- yeah. Feisty is the right word for this, like... Cause, and they both are. They're, like, total equal matches for each other in, like... You know, in, uh, in feistiness and in... Um, sharpness and one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when uh, uh, they have to pretend to be a married couple yeah. because of the, her father's detectives come in oh that whole that whole scene is just brilliant though it's just uh it's the switch and them being like impressed by each other and how they're playing it and like you know him being impressed with her that she's able to do it and like them kind of keep how they keep up the facade and the facade becomes more and more convincing as they play off each other and everything it's like oh just so and when she starts wailing, I just <laughs> lost my shit laughing. Like, and the detectives are kind of going like they're they're great as well, and they're kind of like um, they're switched from suspicion to kind of like oh, like just discomfort at being in the middle of this like married couple, you know, like and just slowly backing out of the room. It's like oh, I'm sorry we disturbed you. Uh, oh yeah, the, the way there's like why do you always take the other side when I'm trying to defend you? And everything? I know, it's like. Just talking to like you know a past that doesn't exist and like there may be actual real possible future. It's like <laughs> oh god, just fantastic like critique, but also like you know endorsement of marriage at the same time. It's like this was the thirties. But it is weird as well how sexy this movie is, even in pre-code. Like the, yeah. the scene when the 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 first thing that we already mentioned about the walls of Jericho when they're just sitting and you can hear both of them breathing and yeah. it's just like a close-up of them and you can you're in their heads going like i wish I, it's not or it was in the 30s kind of thing you know <laughs> yes yeah the kind of like the physical and the metaphorical wall that there exists yeah <clears throat> and it makes it even more powerful like it's it's a self-imposed barrier but they're so committed to it yeah that even when he uh, uh, makes uh, the bedding out of hay yeah uh, at night and uh, she, he goes down and nearly kisses her yeah. and doesn't it's so well played oh, and it's so charged you're expecting the hay to like go on fire from like the energy of it it's just like whoo Strangely enough, this is another tangent, brother. It's kind of <laughs> hilarious. According to Wikipedia, it doesn't cite a reference for that, but apparently both Hitler and Stalin were big fans of this movie. Uh, which, like, <laughs> even horrible people can't have good taste in movies. <laughs> How do you restrict, but with humour? 
like that's the thing is like I can't I can imagine Hitler watching it, but I can't imagine Stalin sitting there with his mustache going like oh ha ha. This is, they're so cute together. I can't imagine either of those people watching films. Like, <laughs> And, um, but the other thing is the, the whole background of uh, the depression. Yeah. And uh, what do you think it adds or if it adds anything to the movie? I think it adds a lot to the film. Like it gives it another, it gives it another level, I think, that, this film has a proper setting, I guess, where it's not just where each scene is kind of taking place in, like, obviously a lot of this is sets anyways, but, it, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel like it's, you're just moving from, like, indoor set to indoor, you know, where they're, they're sort of, like, sets that are supposed to be in cities or whatever, but it doesn't really feel like the city, it doesn't feel like it's really evoking anything of the place or the time. This feels, because it is, like, a film in, in um, in like that that's constantly in movement like not just because they're on a bus but like that you're able to kind of see like america i guess and like not that you're getting massive amounts of um like shots of like the scenery or whatever but that you're kind of seeing it through like the people on the bus and up until and this kind of leads to my other slight quibble with the movie which is the scene where they sing on the bus and the whole thing with the kid um which I understand why it's there for like the money and stuff, but ugh, I just didn't. I, I felt like it kind of went against the the subtlety that it, it had while dealing with the kind of poverty of the people and stuff up until that point. Because everyone that you see on the bus is like they're you know you see them, but they're not explicitly kind of um, shown or you know what I mean. Like that these people Except are for clearly the creepy guy. well, yeah, but he he's he's also kind of because he's like a total like huckster kind of, but in the but all at the end there's like nothing behind, and he's a total coward, of course, but you know, like it's clear that these people are like moving because you know they're trying, you know, like because there are no jobs or whatever, like that they're you know they're heading to New York in the same way as suppose that Clark Gable is because it's like you know he's like going to New York for um uh because he's lost his job and you know to the to the point of the kid i think that uh, it's capra almost over capraing it but the yeah. only reason that at the the moment doesn't feel too schlocky for me because he's undersold straight away with a joke uh, yeah the clark gable he's like i'm a millionaire yeah the, it is not that clark the face that he but when she takes the money away from him and gives it to the kid, <laughs> he re- heard not realizing that is literally the last money that he has. His last ten dollars. And um, but also like uh, uh, I think it gives a, not only a texture in the background, uh, even when he's going back after getting the loan from the the newspaper yeah. guy, who I loved. The, yeah. The other. <laughs> The, when he's going back and he's stopping at the at the level crossing and he's like saluting the the fucking officer there and then the train goes by and he like salutes the conductor and then it goes by and you see like all these bums uh yeah the, like uh the train hoppers there in one of the carts yeah and they're like saluting him everybody's <laughs> happy and but um it's it really humanizes the the face of that era the same way that flipping to the complete other side of mood the grapes of wrath does yeah and i think that it also shows how uh small the story actually is mm. 
that in the context of that period of American history, like even though it was a contemporary movie, that is just a love story. Yeah. That is nothing that you're supposed to take super seriously because these things in the background is what the issue is. Yeah, and that's you know, and that is like I suppose like for audiences at the time would have it would have been very relatable. Yeah. That you know, like the not just to his character, but even that like her kind of not economic but like fall from grace, however temporary, um, even like her fall from grace within the newspapers or whatever that she's like a complete like you know gossip uh uh i love actually the whole thing of like <laughs> the newspapers and how they're like obsessed with her entire life it's like <laughs> would this really be like a uh, front page news you know that uh like the obviously her- love trials yeah <laughs> stop the press <laughs> <laughs> I love that, the whole trope of like with the spinning papers and everything and I was trying to remember exactly like the films that really started that whole like thing uh, and yeah I, like because you usually like relate that to like Citizen Kane or yeah, something and but then that's this, later just, than this yeah that's it so it's like I don't know I was trying to think of an earlier movie that that uses that exact kind of um, it's like as a sort of a transition or like a montage or whatever uh, going back to the point that the people singing in the bus, yeah, I really, really like that scene. And every time that I watch it, I like it more. I like the singing, but like even the way that they like play off each other. Because of, uh, did you have an issue with uh, anything before the kid shows when uh, they crash the bus, or it's just no, the kid that you have an no, issue with? Like the crashing of the bus and her, like you know, like what's she say when she falls over? She's like, oh, you know, that's the most comfortable I've been on this entire trip or whatever. Um, I liked everything up until that, but it was just then whenever it's like the woman like dramatically faints and you know, it's yeah, it just it felt and like the kid is like you know, I, I fucking I you know. 30s bad kid actor uh, yeah like and he's you know like he just jumps straight out all over you know he's just like you know oh, please it's yeah please come down uh, it's, it's, some of his performance is necessarily terrible but it's just but uh, when they sing in the bus even though you don't have a problem with it yeah uh, i love it because um it shows like the bus becoming a community and it's yeah. in, in four wheels kind of and thing. And how long is all I suppose they're they're with these people because you know, obviously it takes a long time to go up the coast to Yeah, like from Miami to New York and I think that it, it gets away with being shot in California even though it has surprisingly a lot of exterior shots for uh for a film of Hollywood at that time. Yeah. The uh because it's shot in black and white, you don't get the color palette of California. You can yeah, just you, you can just substitute it, yeah. the put the color palette of because even like in some of the motel scenes, you can tell that it's not a set. It's yeah. like like some motel cabins, which gives this film a sense of authenticity that yeah. it's hard to find from films of that era that's it. it 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 feels much more it does feel more real and much less stagey which definitely adds to it that is that because they are supposed to be moving around to different places and you do feel that which is um i think definitely really important to this i actually loved and you can tell the how different the times were at the when the guy runs off uh, be, trying to rob their luggage and he just have a fight with them and it's like he tried to rob me I robbed his car and that's fine like yeah. <laughs> the cops appear nothing comes back from that he just has a car now 
<laughs> Self-defense, sir. I had to get the car. Yeah, but I'd, I'd let um, Clark Gable in this movie away with an awful lot. <laughs> and it's like, I sucked him. You could tell that he probably just like sucker punched the guy. Yeah. And also, it's amazing um, that he was able to catch up with the dude running because I, the yeah, car is so yeah. terrible. <laughs> well, to be fair, the car is literally just like four wheels and a steering wheel. Like, <laughs> oh, the guy who drives the car is hilarious as well. Like, he actually robs from the car. Oh, singing opera. And his... But then whenever, like, um, whenever he's going back, um, I don't know, it's like, how ridiculous like obviously like obviously like you know the the honor of clark gable the misguided honor of clark gable you know where he will go back and demand the 36 dollars or whatever but even just that 37.90 yeah sorry that he will um uh you know he he's lying there and after she's come over and been like oh, you know i love you and he's kind of lying there like thinking about kind of going right okay i definitely want to marry her but i can't marry her yet because I've no money. I can't make an offer because I've no money. So I will get up, drive three hours in the middle of the night to go to New York. <laughs> and type it, and then like drink <laughs> one whiskey to write your your article and give it to the newspaper. It's like, and then, he, then whenever he's driving back and he's like saying like um, the, the guy who he stole the car from, it's like, you're like, oh, oh Clark Abel. I love it when uh, he goes to the newspaper editor and f- first he doesn't believe what he's saying. Yeah. And then he throws the story in the bin, reads, it gives uh, Clark Gable the money, but kind of, uh, I don't believe you kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And then even though it seems uh, plausible that he was lying, but just because of the way Clark Gable is when he returns the money. Yeah. That uh, Clark Gable comes back drunk and he's like the nicest man yeah. to him that puts his hand well, in his shoulder. Well, he just looks at him and he, he, he realizes it and he's like, you know, get yourself cleaned up and we'll talk, you know. Yeah, like, he's a broken man. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> What's interesting as well, I find, and I wonder in your research for the podcast, did you read much on Frank Capra's uh, politics? Um... No, not really. I don't really know. I don't know a massive amount about Capra. I knew about the that he the propaganda thing. Yeah. But other than that, I didn't really know much about him. Like he's a a bit weird because he makes the most humanist movies, kind of like anti-capitalist kind of like you couldn't yeah. have the most more anti-capitalist movie than It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. And he was a staunch Republican. Really? Uh, yeah, like a really like that. He in the modern day sense of the word. Well, uh, not that much because it was more uh, not not even of that time or uh, these times because he was a humanist. Like even in a matter of race, he did a as part of during the war. He did a a movie that nowadays the title would be a bit problematic, but at <laughs> the time it wasn't called The Negro Soldier. His heart was in the right place. Uh, that the that movie was directed by him but written by a black playwright and performed by that black playwright about the uh, how much black people uh, support the American country uh, yeah not only in the army but also as a, as a society as a whole mm-hmm. and it was like the first movie really to show black people as ministers and lawyers and teachers mm. and drivers etc not just bellhops and even Criminals. in this movie kind of thing or 
or slaves or Athred. hoodlums or yeah. uh, hoodlums. Um, <laughs> I like that word. <laughs> but he was, uh, uh, when it comes to economics, he thought that the government shouldn't be involved whatsoever. And he hated Roosevelt because of the new plan, mm. which kind of conflicts with the entirety of his oeuvre as a filmmaker. And I find it really interesting. Like, that yeah. is strange. I suppose in this, because this is an adaptation. Yeah. Um, but he he did write the script, didn't he? Or he co-wrote the script. Uh, no, uh, but it was his uh, frequent collaborator, uh, Robert, uh, Robert Riskin, I think it is. Yeah. And uh, um, the Capra being Capra as well. Like he was one of the few directors that had control over his output. Yeah. So it, it is not like the he wasn't a gun for hire that somebody gave him the script and say you have to direct it. It would have been something that he had pursued. Mm. This was a surprise hit though, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was more like budget and Clark Gable and uh uh and Colbert weren't really Colbert. Uh, Colbert. Uh it's kind of hard after Stephen Colbert. You've ruined your na- the name. <laughs> The um, <clears throat> because they weren't big stars, I think that the the studio didn't because they're didn't... both they're both quite young here, like so. Yeah, yeah, like this is yeah. the first big role that Clark Gable had. Like yeah. this is the, the the film that made him a star. Yeah, but like it, it, they're so good at bantering I in this know. movie. Oh my god! And it's it's so weird seeing this in the context of like even modern filmmaking. Yeah, that. In the 30s, like even in the 70s and stuff, all these scenes of dialogue that has nothing to do with the plot is almost it's lifted out of Seinfeld or something. Yeah. Like the scene about... Or Sorkin. How, like this is yeah. Sorkin's wet dream. Like, I mean, and you obviously like Sorkin's really influenced by like screwball comedies and stuff. But well, like, like and by Frank Capra in particular. Like yeah. even if you watch like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, that yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. You, you have... Oh, I, was tempted to pick that one <laughs> because it is pure West Wing kind of thing. Yeah. He's the, like, Sorkin is the, is that dreamer that Capra is that he believes on the best Yeah. comes out of people kind of thing. For his male characters. Uh, well, yes. <laughs> like, surprisingly, Capra is a more level-headed with his female... Uh, well, in this case, uh, it's a wonderful yeah. life. There's not really a female character. No. Except for... For him to use badly. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll get the moon for you. <laughs> and uh, what tropes... Uh, uh, let's count tropes. Okay. That, that's something that I've been looking for. How many of the this movie sets up yeah. that you think is still used like in a number of romantic comedies? Well, definitely, obviously, like, the whole kind of, like, oh, they hate each other at the start, but you know they're going to love each other in the end. That's, like, every romantic comedy. Like, you know, even even if it's not used in, like, in the kind of, the because it's obviously now we get it less with them. The class element of it isn't a part of it usually, but you see, like, it just makes me think of really kind of like any Katherine Heigl movie or any Jennifer Aniston film. Maybe it's something like Trainwreck that it comes, like, the division is intellectual, like, now yeah. kind of thing that is like, oh, he doesn't like sports and yeah, doesn't like drinking. Yeah, well, or that movie was just depressing because it was like people were so astonished that they'd, like, <gasps> turned the whole thing on its head that, oh my God, she's the one sleeping around and he's yeah, going to. But it still ends oh. with her becoming. Yeah, but it's what like that. It's be. like, oh, how, how to be single or whatever. It's like you, sometimes I feel like movies back in, like, this is in the 30s and feels more ambitious and more, like, genre defi- defining than anything that comes out now where you can get things. The 
of things you can get away with in a 15s movie. Like, it's, fo- you know what I mean? That, that even something yeah, like... Yeah, Logan is a 15s movie. Uh, yeah, but even like that, uh, it was a How to Be Single, where, you know, like, oh, you know, you could you know, in the fucking title, and then in the end, it has this stupid happy ending as well. It's like, you know, in 2015 or 16, whenever that movie came out, it's like people still aren't grasping the concept of how to make a good modern romantic and comedy. The, the problem with them, even Pretty Woman and all these other films that I really like, yeah. is that they miss the best points of this movie, is the fact that they love each other for who they are. Nobody changes. Yeah. There's no character development yeah. besides the development of their love. Yeah, and there's just, no uh, kind of where yeah, or even say like where he had to go into business with her dad or something to yeah. like to to be able to marry her. Or, you know, like there's no you can see them in like a year where you know they're they're like hating each other yeah, but loving but each other. Basically the same. Yeah, like oh that's when they, he's having the argument with the dad. That, <clears throat> going back to that when you said oh I don't like that I love well, it no, just I because the of the dialogue. setup. When the, like he's like leaving and she's like oh she deserves a smack even with without a warning it's like, i'm surprised you haven't done it years ago or something like does and then, he mean like a physical slap or yeah 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 the, like, <laughs> I, and then uh, he finally confesses to loving her yeah and uh, i'm a bit screwy myself <laughs> yeah don't hold it against me i'm a bit screwy myself and it's like that is the the greatest line ever like well not ever but uh, <clears throat> oh. right up there the other one that I the that I see as well um, <clears throat> all the time is that that little the the misunderstanding. Oh yeah, that it's yes, not yes. neither I, one is at fault. Yeah, but it's just you both sides think that the other side yeah. is, is wrong or something. It was just and, the particular circumstances yeah. that that led them to believe a certain thing. Yes, that is very much used as well. And I, in modern movies, obviously, it's a bit more explicit because it's like. Um, that uh, you often get like that in the middle of the second third of the film where you have where they've kind of like they've finally gotten together but then oh no it's like oh she he finds or she or he finds out that she was writing an article about how to lose a guy in 10 days or whatever you know and, but uh, what movie is that from <laughs> sorry I'm just I'm rattling them all through them in my head and trying to find one that is actually a good example of a modern romantic comedy Richard Although, well, the the, the closest Curtis... one would be Notting Hill. Notting Hill is the yeah. closest one because nobody like it, it hits exactly the same beats at this movie. Even yeah. the misunderstanding of her leaving to make the movie and yeah. him staying, and then you have like the the lovely scene of like all the seeds and well. He's like in this like the the, the Notting Hill market. <laughs> like this fifty like every romantic comedy happens in a fictional world. Like there's no Oh well, yes. Or everyone like works in a music like works in a gallery or owns a bookshop where nobody ever shops and yeah. somehow manages to live in Notting Hill. But or even like, you know, the fact and like um uh about time which is obviously in the end not really a romantic comedy it's really about a father and a son but like how he's a like struggling lawyer and yet you know he goes from his incredibly fancy house in like the middle of like Cornwall to like the beachside property to like living with his like playwright friend who has a massive house like in the middle of London yes there are never financial difficulties are never a concern yeah well like Richard Cordy's <laughs> not very like his idea 
of a I of try- a poor person is uh, <laughs> somebody that lives like in the east end of London, anywhere well, in tried, the east end. I tried to write a movie about people who lived in Boston, but I didn't know where they would shop. <laughs> Did he uh, say that? Yeah. <laughs> um, like it almost is an advertising uh, advertisement for chastity like uh, and uh, like they kind never of. if they you want to add spice to your relationship don't have sex <laughs> all you need all you need is a blanket and some rope <laughs> like because it is like one it's of the, the anti 50 shades of gray like where rope is concerned yeah like it, it makes not having sex sexy like oh god which is like uniquely like it's something that frank capra does and i think that that's why this movie is above like it's probably the best romantic comedy ever made yeah it is because he's not only a good romantic comedy director he's just a master of the of the medium but he decided to make movies that were uh, either comedies or romantic comedies or mm. morality tales kind of thing. Yeah. The that's why he was so effective as a propaganda director because <laughs> he knew how to manipulate you. Yeah. And, like the same thing is leveled usually like uh, between uh uh Spielberg and Capra always get the the same uh like they're painted with the same brush. Yeah, it's that just it's like, like you manipulate kind of people. But it's every film manipulates you to yeah. feel something. It's just that and if this you're is... able to do it with such like deft of hand and like of, of and with such like to create such a pleasurable viewing experience. Like, but it is the weird thing is that people don't feel pissed off when somebody manipulates them to feel horror but they feel pissed off to and cheated when somebody manipulates them (laughs) to feel happy it's like (laughs) what is this society we live in that it's like watching your team crying a bit it's like oh fucking prick spielberg (laughs) this is where we are (laughs) this is our modern society ricardo Uh, so what's your favorite thing about the movie orla oh my god is it a cliche to say the center relationship? <laughs> like, not just them getting together in the end, because you know they're going to get together in the end, but it's the journey to them actually getting to break down the walls of Jericho. <laughs> yeah. It's the development of them as people around each other as well. Like, not just that... They're not going through necessarily fundamental changes, or but they are being... They're, you know, they're, they're becoming their... their not that they're becoming who they're gonna be, but um, just like their their development around each other is just so enjoyable to watch, and their sparring and their chemistry and yeah, their journey, their relationship, their love. Yeah, and it's it's interesting on the on that as well, like the the idea of how it is played out that they usually in romantic comedies or any film really is that you take turns into progressing the characters yeah and the script is so deft in developing both characters Mm. in each scene it's not the this is clark gable scene and this is corbett uh, yeah and it's the 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 visual idea of dividing the room as well is is so interesting it's especially the way because obviously he does an awful lot of very long very long shots so we're all you know like and the, the it's just it visually it works as well as like metaphorically and the dividing of the screen between in half between the two of them because they are on equal footing as people and as characters and yeah it's just so well done 
even like the way that he gives her his pajamas and yeah. and oh when she goes to the to, to take a shower like that's the thing is the more you think about this movie there's always like yeah. scenes that just you pop for, out that you and, forgot and you're like oh yeah uh, like that is going back to wait 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 sorry. can i take it back because just yeah. you saying that has made me think of something no my favorite thing in the movie is whenever they have the donuts and the coffee because i had never had donuts and coffee until this very day and i did and it's probably the best thing i've ever had but that's the thing is that for <laughs> and that scene is fucking brilliant behind the scenes kind of thing for you listeners is that when we watch the movies we don't watch them together and we don't talk whatsoever about uh, how we like the movies or yeah, not until no. we're we want to be surprised this is all real people yeah like <laughs> as real as it can be but <laughs> the the thing is that today while well, i was getting lunch before coming up here to record i just get a text from morla about like dunking the donut in a coffee and it's just like that scene and it's like yeah she loved this movie there's uh were you st- did you really think I wasn't gonna love this movie? <laughs> like, what were you expecting? <laughs> well, there's always like something in the back of your well, mind. Well, that's that, true. Uh, yeah. Especially when it's so like it, it doesn't get more of a sacred cow than this yeah. movie for me. Yeah. Because, it, like, it makes me feel so good to watch it. Yeah. That the thought that somebody might not get it makes me afraid. I've only just seen it and that like is making me feel like like sad inside <laughs> imagine sitting there next to somebody and they're not getting the movie and oh my you're god like, oh my god that should be the test of every relationship I think that you sit down and you watch that movie and if the other person doesn't get it leave leave <laughs> my favorite thing of the the movie is just the, the sheer good storytelling it's yeah. just Sorry, I didn't ask you. It's just effortless. It, do, it It's that kind of movie, uh, much like Spielberg, as I mentioned, but it is such an obvious uh, modern. Mm. Um, and nobody has taken the mantle from Spielberg. Yeah. Uh, to be that effortless on, on filming a scene and having those long takes. Is the, Spielberg uses the same thing. Yeah, the, but the, where they are not drawing attention to each other. Yeah, because like you, the, like that you, video of every frame yeah, of painting. Yeah, like when you think about this film, so many of those shot, those scenes are so long and it, a lot of it is done in just one shot. In one shot yeah, because like, it allows the, 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 the scene to breathe and, the, yeah. and that's confidence on the actors and confidence mm, and the on the script and, and then the... Yeah. Because there's no way of editing that once you're after shooting it. Yeah. And I think also it's like just that confidence that Capra has that even when you go... Uh, because in every single movie of his, there's a moment that he goes over the line. Like in this with the kid. Mm. He doesn't go slightly across the line to get a little bit too schmaltzy. Yeah. But considering that the entire movie is just doing a high wire. Uh, kind of uh, dance that uh, it might fall at any moment. Yeah. Or, uh, because one misstep when you're being that earnest. Yeah. It it's it's difficult to maintain that for I like mean, an yeah. hour and forty minutes. I mean, to minutes. be fair, he he gets it back once that for that little dip. Like yeah. he gets it back immediately. Like there's no, you know, it's not like after that we are kind of like, oh well, you know, you're completely hooked back in again as soon as. You know, you're get, as soon as you see them together again, and then the whole scene where they're like going in the, the straw and everything, like it's just brilliant. But I do think that it is similar in tone and feel to My Darling Clementine. So, in a way, I thought that there wasn't a oh, way yeah, that you weren't yeah. gonna like it. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it is as well a movie that if it came out 20 years later in the 50s just because it's black and white 4x3 mm. kind of thing that you wouldn't bat an eye to think like you would just say oh Clark Cable looks young for the 50s doesn't it <laughs> yeah that's it like it, it doesn't it's like this 1934 like that's to, crazy like it's to yeah. show you how modern I feel the movie is even though I've seen it a number of times yeah and loved it and know like historical context of the making of and everything yeah. else that I was sitting there going like I wonder when they how they got a, a, a period bus to drive and I was like Jesus you idiot that's how the buses look like when they made that movie people really did wave at buses as they left yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, and obviously, like, um, this is, I don't know why this movie is not quoted more, because they're just some absolute crack, every line is a cracker line. I think it is the, like, the, the, the thing of the, of the critic, going yeah. back, is that critics, it's hard to say that this and Citizen Kane are at a same level. Yeah. And I think that this is more successful than Citizen Kane. Yeah. And... Whatever that says about me as a film viewer, but I don't well, care because it's my opinion. I mean, I'm a massive, massive fan of Citizen Kane. Ooh. <laughs> ooh, 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 controversial. Um, that that was it happened one night. Mm-hmm. We didn't even get around to discuss the title, but I know, like, <laughs> we have a time. Next week's pick is Orla's pick, even though we're not recording on her birthday, it will be released on her birthday, so happy Yay! birthday Orla in advance, and uh, what's your pick? It's 1970s uh, Le Cirque Rouge. The Red Circle, for those that don't understand <laughs> Orla, is, Donegal French. <laughs> which is a film set in the 70s, it's a thriller, it's in a foreign language. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> But it's my birthday. You can find us on at the Rec Game on Twitter, the Recommendation Game on Facebook, and the Recommendation Game at gmail.com for longer correspondence. If you want to recommend a movie that we will watch in the future in a, a special episode, we are also in the Dublin Digital Radio Mixcloud. And did I say that right, Orla? Yes. <laughs> well, she's in charge of all production and stuff. I kind of just say things. Um, I was Ricardo Deacon. I was Orla McNeilis. And see you next week. Thanks for listening.